What have we learned about Heidi? But cockroaches were the least of her problems. Heidi had to fight for every opportunity. You know, Heidi is, even though she's very kind of sweet and innocent. Heidi wanted out of the slum, and her agent wasn't doing enough. Oh my God, they moved Heidi right next to me now. Although Heidi seems serene. She is, she's a bit naughty. She uses an ancient folk remedy to help calm her down. Heidi is back. Tuesday, what a beautiful afternoon it is, and I think we're in store for a couple of great days. Heidi Glaus back in the studio with Josh Gilbert, Connor over on the board, and I got to say, we went to the Blues game yesterday, and thanks to some friends who had fantastic seats, we sat three rows up from the ice right behind the net, and I've never experienced a Blues game like that before, and it was... It's probably ruined me because I don't know that you can go and watch the game from anywhere else. It's just you're part of the action. I've never sat that close. The closest we ever got was maybe like nine rows back. Yeah, still awesome. Center ice. It was so cool. Growing up, my father took us to baseball games. Um, we didn't really go to football games, probably because they were too expensive. And we never went to hockey games. Yeah. We went to some steamers games in it the old barn. It was packed yesterday. But we never did hockey. And I go to this hockey game, and I'm sitting nine rows back. It was the most electrifying experience mm-hmm. that I've I've ever been to uh, as far as live sports go. Well, and being a city resident, we went to Rooster yesterday at 10 a.m. to kind of have our Bloody Marys and get over to the... Enterprise Center, but it was, Rooster was packed, everybody in their blues jersey, a few, you know, Toronto Maple Leaf jerseys there, but it was just, and then after that, we went uh, over to Broadway Oyster Bar, and it was so packed, we couldn't even get in, so I just love that atmosphere as far as that goes. Someone pointed out to me, yesterday was President's Day, which yes. a lot of people were off, I was working, thanks mm-hmm. a lot, Heidi. I, sorry. Um but in Canada, when Toronto was playing, Canada, they don't celebrate our President's Day. They were probably like, why the heck is there a hockey game at noon <laughs> central time? So weird. But I thought I think it's great. I mean, if, if a majority or if a lot of people are off, let's have sports in, in the afternoon. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we did not get a W, but we'll talk sports with Martin Kilcoin coming up in the 4 o'clock because we're actually off a little early, which I didn't even realize until... About 3 o'clock. So Mizzou basketball versus Tennessee. Not sure how that game's going to go because Tennessee's number the, Number 5, I Tennessee. I was going to say top 10. Tip-off is at 6, but we've got the pregame starting at 5.30, so we'll wrap things up early, but not before we cover a lot. We're going to talk to the uh, alderman of Ward 9. He's in charge of... 
that King's Highway row where those buildings have just kind of been an eyesore for what seems like years, but they are finally being torn down. What's next and what has taken so long? We'll talk to the uh, alderman of that area. We'll also check in with Andy Field because uh, Congress is being pressed to pass aid to Ukraine. We'll see if it is moving at all. Then in the four o'clock, we've got our headlines. And since yesterday was President's Day, we're going to talk to a associate professor of political science and uh, one of the co-directors of the Presidential Greatness Project. They just did a new poll, and it's not like you and I get to vote. These are presidential scholars weighing in on how presidents ranked. And some of these might surprise you, I think, when I was looking at the list. We've got that and uh, got the top five at five, maybe some entertainment news to get to. I saw this, and last week I really got thrown under a bus because I ate Marsha's leftovers. I thought you guys were going to side with me, but not. How could we possibly side with you? my lesson. I will not be eating leftovers anymore. But I saw this and I thought, well, this is similar. So a girlfriend is angry. She and her boyfriend decide to split chores Mm 50-50, which dividing the household responsibilities is a little tricky anyway, because maybe you both dread doing something or maybe one, it isn't even a chore at all. They enjoy it. Or in our household, if I start to load the dishwasher, she goes behind me and redoes it. So then I kind of like, well, why am I even putting these things in here in the first place? But these two decide that they're going to split the chores 50-50. And I want to know how you guys feel about this on the Woods Basement Systems text line, 84126. The boyfriend then goes and hires a housekeeper (gasps) to do his half. Now, I don't know. He's getting it done if I guess they have a joint account and he's taking money out of the joint account to pay for it. Then that maybe gets a little trickier. Trickier? No, that's that's a. Is that a no? That's a that's a hard no. If he's taking personal money out of his, you know. Rainy day fund, his lunch fund, if he's brown bagging it so that he can hire somebody to come over and take the trash out, maybe. Maybe. Uh Okay, so this is what he says. I guess this is like some sort of Reddit account. My girlfriend moved into my house six months ago. Despite me paying three-fourths of the rent, she's a student, we still agreed that we would split the chores of the house 50-50. Now, he also explained she's not OCD, but she's a little borderline OCD. Heidi-esque. When it comes to cleaning and everything must be done her way, I cleaned the kitchen and there was some dust on top of the fridge. I didn't clean it properly and I'm just doing things the wrong way. So, do I continue to do that or do i hire somebody he did do you think that's wrong yes okay (laughs) yeah oh yeah i mean in my personal situation with my wife uh she would say well that 
money could be spent on my chores or it could be going to vacations or dinners out yeah. or or gifts for Finn or you know it could be spent she would she would have a problem with it just on its face alone and i would be labeled lazy well and and all that stuff. Now, he does point out I still take the trash out. I clean the dishes if the cleaner isn't coming in the next three days. I also do some of the handiwork required occasionally that my girlfriend doesn't know how to do. Does he specifically say, don't bother with the windows because that's her job? He, he doesn't. Uh, I thought this was a little bit, you know. I, I guess he's agreeing to do certain things. If there's like a line down the middle... And you do this and I do that. But, hey, if you're going to pay for a house cleaner to come and take care of the, some of the things you want me to do, I'm okay with that. You know, this is America. As long as the job gets done, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. But, no, my wife would weigh in on, on the spending money portion of it because that money could go towards something else. Here's an interesting caveat, Heidi. When you start dating someone – and, by the way, these people have only been – Living together for six, six months. months. I think they should just break up now. <laughs> Save everybody some time and anguish because it doesn't sound like it's going to work out. Well, maybe communication needs a little work. When we first moved in, my wife and I together while we were dating, she moved in to my place. Mm-hmm. And we lived there for about two years or so. And it never really felt like hers. Like hers. I get that. I think if I moved into her place, she had a great place right on Hanley. She would have always referred to it as her house mm-hmm. and things that I, oh, don't, that's not where we put that. I think couples, when they move in together, unless they have a, you know, a super sweet view or a pool out back, they should probably find a neutral place for them to start together over Mm -hmm. i see this both ways because she owned the house that we live in however oh marcia yes mm -hmm, uh i have been able to do a lot with it okay everything from you know a fireplace to a patio to a pool to a new bathroom so i feel like over the years it has become mine and we've made enough changes i redecorated i think that you definitely did she she have her own style yes when you moved in yes and you've completely taken over Mm -hmm. really i would say that she's conscious of this (laughs) oh yeah she's conscious friends are conscious my parents are yeah but she's really easy and goes with the flow on all of that so it's not in her She doesn't care. Have you quite. have you thanked her? Oh, all the time for being easygoing all and amenable. Time. Yes, to all things because my wife doesn't time. thank me for that very often. <laughs> um, but how long did it take her to stop saying my house and start saying our house or the house? Mm, I mean, it's been it, a long time now, so it, it. But you noticed, I'm sure. It I did doesn't. Notice. It doesn't happen now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is the answer. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And if it does. Do you call it, do you say my house? <laughs> no. It's our house. And if it would Sounds slip, like... there's a little look real quickly about wh- whose house yeah. is it? What 
what what did you say? Are you on the deed? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, what's the split? Is the housekeeper vacuuming half of the house? Seems pretty dumb. Remember on on all those uh, '80s sitcoms where they would they would tape. Right down the middle of the room. Uh, and that, you know? If the brother and sister were yeah. in a fight. And DJ Tanner's on one side and Stephanie's on the other. Uh-huh. Um, if the guy spends his money for cleaning, I think it's okay. But what is his money versus her money? Well, if he's paying, you know, somebody else says, it, she's getting a heck of a deal if she only pays a fourth of the rent and it's his house. He probably will not work. It'll probably not work out because he's too worried about his money. Hmm. Yeah. Why doesn't he just have the whole house cleaned? What cleaning service cleans half the house? It, and who knows? It doesn't really say what the chores are. Uh, somebody else said, not wrong. Wish someone would hire a housekeeper for me. What's the worst chore in the house? And I bring this up because as I, I was, hate taking out the trash. Oh, I love taking out And the you trash know why out. I hate it? Because we stuff so much in there. By the time you're going to grab the bag out of there, something spills mm-hmm. onto the floor. And if we would just take it out when it wasn't so full, I probably wouldn't hate that chore. We have the benefit of taking the trash out every time we get a dirty diaper. Uh, uh, so sometimes I'm bringing out half full bags just to get the thing out of the house. But we had the nieces over last weekend. I don't know if I told you that last week. But we survived the weekend, and I was sweeping today. Mm-hmm. The floors is my least favorite. Uh, and every dust bunnies are just overwhelming, and I don't know where they come from. I don't either, but the chocolate milk stains on the floor. We haven't washed the floors in months. You know, I go and sweep every couple of weeks. Yeah, but, but to mop them. The mopping of the floors, you know, does anybody... We've got a Swiffer wet jet, but I, it's still in the package. But the the spots underneath where the kids were eating this weekend, oh, my God. Do they know where their mouths are? They are kids, <laughs> right? Like, look at all this. There's half a meal down here. Uh-huh. I love that you waited until, until they, they left all, oh, yeah, not yeah, after yeah. You don't, you don't clean up until it's over. Okay. See? Uh, somebody else said, you know, the couple probably has separate accounts. Cleaning the toilet and tub are the worst. You know, I did get something to clean the toilets. My mom had it at, I guess she has it at her house and at the lake house, but I had never seen it before. And it's like the disposable toilet cleaner. Because where do you keep the toilet bowl cleaner? You, it's it's right next to the toilet. But what about the, I got to walk that thing through the house to go right, to the and downstairs and it's dripping one. and all the, so the thing that she has is a disposable one and you just kind of poke the stick into this little you know brush and then when you're done you open up the trash can put the brush in and if you have one in another room then you don't have to carry this thing dripping everywhere and it makes it a lot easier i like to do the toilet and then immediately turn scalding hot water on in the tub and rinse the brush out oh so that in the tub though well it's it you know where it's going you know yeah, I don't. When you get in the bathtub, you're filling the whole thing up with soap. But I don't mind cleaning the tub because sometimes I do it while I'm in the shower myself. Yeah. You know, a little scrub for me, a little scrub for the tub, mm-hmm. right? I could I could stay in the shower for an hour. Somebody is saying the shower is the worst. Somebody is saying the, the wet swift for 
works really well. We have that in the RV. Dusting in the shower. We clean the shower daily with the like the glass doors with a squeegee and try to stay on top of it. If you find out where the dust bunnies come from, please let us know. No wonder they call them bunnies. That's funny, Susan. As far as the floor mopping, when you get married, you have kind of uh, things that you're happier about is what I'm going to say. Maybe mop the floor once every couple of weeks. Then after you have children, you mop the floor every day and maybe <laughs> have more fun with your partner. Oh, yeah. If less. I mop the floor every day, you think I'd, yeah. I'd ingratiate myself to my wife more? Laundry is the worst. You do it right. You need to be home for the entire process. We're a family of four and two dogs. I do laundry most days of the week, and it's never, ever, ever ending. That's my wife's least favorite. I, my favorite? Dishes. It's your favorite mm-hmm. to hand wash them or so, to load the dishwasher. Well, you know, I I'm I'm a rinser, so for the most part, when they go in the dishwasher, they're basically clean enough, right? But she doesn't know how to stack the dishwasher. I'll I'll say it to her face, if, you know, <laughs> if she was here right now, you don't know how to stack the dishwasher, and I get some uh, satisfaction, some gratification. From taking a dish and scrubbing, and scrubbing it. it, you know, it's like I don't get a lot of wins, Heidi. Uh-huh, but, but that's it, one for if you. I can take a, a dirty dish and clean it and and see myself in the reflection. And you know what? I did something today. <laughs> put that put that on the big board, honey. Yeah. Well, you know, you could just go to Club Fitness and feel like you did uh, something. I know. I do need to do that. You have worked so hard at losing the weight and. Part of that, a lot of people, professionals as far as in the health industry say, because for so long it was all about cardio, 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 and now they're saying you really need to lift weights to make sure that you are healthy. And maybe you don't know, but Club Fitness has the professionals there. You could do personal training or you can have somebody just kind of give you the tour of the facility where they have a little bit of everything. They've got all the cardio machines if you want to kind of warm up on that. Then you have the weights and the, if you want to do like, you know, you want to work your pecs and your back and they've got the lat pulls. they got anything that you could possibly imagine when it comes to the free weights. And then they have the boutique studios where you can do the, the burn zone and the cycle studio and the more than 400 classes Every day. So, really, it's one of the many reasons that Club Fitness is the ultimate fitness experience. And then throw on top that there are 19 area locations, each one open 24 7, and you've got the smoothie bar and the red light therapy. All of it is part of Club Fitness, and you can learn more about the different memberships and find a location near you. Clubfitness.us. Couple of people, couple of people are saying that cleaning the toilet brush in the shower is disgusting. Yeah, I, agree. I don't really see the difference. And the uh, toilet bowl is not clean. Yeah, but you're rinsing it out in in the spigot and it's going right down the drain. It's mm, not like there's it's a lot filling. of splashing. Okay. Uh and someone says there's nothing like a mop in a bucket yeah. with hot water. And then they say some will know what I mean by using a dry mop. What is dry mopping? Well, dry mopping is just getting the dust, isn't it? Is, am I? That's what I consider the dry mop. Is this something I've never heard of? And and before we go to traffic, my grandma used to have this thing. Uh, it wasn't a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You didn't plug it in. You just rolled it on the carpet. Like a lot of the restaurants do for the yeah, carpet. Yeah, yeah. And it uh-huh. would pick up, you know, the little stuff. What were those things called? 
Those long neglected buildings along Kings Highway at Oakland are finally coming down. Michael Browning is the alderman for that ward, Ward 9, and he joins us with what's next. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you for having me. So I read that more than $340 million in building permits has been issued on that property since 2007. Was the land initially going to be a Drury Hotel? Um, well, slight correction there. That number comes for the whole neighborhood behind those buildings. Okay. So that's to represent the tremendous progress that the Forest Park Southeast neighborhood has made over the last couple decades. But these buildings stayed stagnant, stayed falling apart, and not representative of that progress. So where does the money go if nothing is developed? I mean, is the money returned, or does the money go for other things in the neighborhood? Well, you're, you're uh, mixing up a few things here. I think the, the money that has been spent on these properties so far has only been in the acquisition of these properties. There really hasn't been much money actually put into the maintenance or uh, the plans for these properties. Uh, but when a developer does propose a project, they do put money into drawing up plans and uh, trying to get those plans approved. If they're not approved, then that is money down the drain. Got you. When we uh, we invited you on the show after you got elected, and I brought up these properties to you, and you had said that there are uh, so many things going on behind the scenes. Can you just go back in time and tell us? And you're fairly new um, as an alderman here. How long have these properties been vacant or or, or been uh, uninhabitable? Yeah. So new as an alderman, but been in the neighborhood since 2012, and I can say. When I first moved in the neighborhood, there was one of the properties that was uh, occupied, but the rest have been vacant since the early 2000s. So this is, we're talking going on 20 years now uh, of nothing being in there. Why has it been so hard to do something with it? Well, the properties have changed hands multiple times. Each developer that's acquired them has wanted to land bank those properties as well as other properties to do a larger plan. So you referenced a hotel proposal by the Drury Hotel Corporation. They were amassing properties, almost two dozen properties at one point, uh, would have involved mass demolition of just not just those properties, but other houses in the neighborhood to to build a rather suburban style hotel complex. Uh, When that plan fell through as the pandemic got underway, they sold the buildings to Lux Living. Lux Living attempted to uh, build there, but as the engagement around that development continued, their reputation caught up to them, and the neighborhood flat out refused to support a project there. The Preservation Board at the time denied demo, saying that the structures were viable and could stand for another six months. Uh, but over a year later, the buildings rapidly deteriorated all at once, and we saw what had become a stable situation turned into a dangerous situation when the buildings changed hands late last year late in 2023 uh over to north point development north point went ahead and applied for emergency demolition which is a different process goes around the preservation board and because of the condition of the properties partial collapses missing roofs uh broken columns Uh, the demo was approved by the building division, and they moved quickly to demolish. So now what's planned, or what are the next steps for whatever this area will become? 
So engagement is ongoing with the neighborhood, but right now the plan is that there will be a six-story uh, apartment building on this site and another uh, six-story apartment building just to the north on land that used to be part of the highway. Uh, so those proposals are being reviewed by uh, the neighborhood and the city. And if successful, uh, we will see the addition of over 300 units uh, on these two pieces of land. And is this a story of bureaucratic red tape? Because as you said, uh, these have been vacant for 20 years and we just now have uh, people talking about what they want to do with the land. And you can blame other politicians because you're fairly new. Um, Or is this a, a story of landowners who just haven't had the will or desire to develop it? Yeah, I think that it's a lot of stories. Uh, you can tell a story about red tape, but you can also tell a story about developers that came in and didn't really broker honestly. They came in and decided to just sit on the properties, let them fall apart uh, in what's known as demo by neglect. And that is one way to get around some of those preservation ordinances. So they pursued that, that strategy safe to say that strategy did not work out for any of them. So this can also be told as a story of a neighborhood standing up for itself and really fighting for the best plan. Uh, Multiple previous plans saw mass demolition. I'm talking, you know, dozens of properties that would have been demolished. And uh, up until this day, all those properties have been saved, except for these uh, six buildings that were along Kings Highway, which unfortunately have just been you know, pretty infamous in the St. Louis region. Well, it's just such a prominent spot. So many people are getting off there at Kings Highway and going to Barnes or to Forest Park or to the Muni, and it's the first thing you see. Yeah, yeah. And so we are really excited to demolish these uh, because we know that it's a poor representation of the neighborhood, uh, but it's also a poor representation of St. Louis in general. Uh, Thousands of people drive by these every day, whether they're on the way to the medical complex or on the way to the Grove uh, or on their way to, you know, anywhere on Kings Highway. And it's just not representative of the progress that the neighborhood has made, the progress that St. Louis has made. So we're excited to turn the page and really it's a new day. And Michael, remind us how long you've been an alderman. I've been an alderman since April, 2023. So fairly recently. And can you tell us in that time, uh, Is it hard to get stuff done in St. Louis? It can be. It depends on what you're trying to get done. But I'll say this. Uh, When we have people who are in office, who stay on top of things, who are responsive, who connect people and have those conversations, you can get stuff done. Like any city, it's all about the relationships and how how you work with people. And I think that At the end of the day, we were able to make something happen here because of those relationships. All right. Well, congratulations, Michael, and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. And every time we go to the Hill Antique Market, Uh that's the route I take, and I drive past these six or seven row houses, and I say to myself, when are they going to get around to tearing these down? And And now they are. Well, thank God. I've always loved this song. Yeah. This is, this is uh, Badfinger, right? Yes. And it was the last song on Breaking Bad. 
That's how, oh. the, that's how the series ended. I completely forgot about that. Mm-hmm. It's Baby Blue by yeah. Badfinger. Yep. Do they have any other songs? Badfinger? Yeah. Yeah. If you want it, here it is. Come and get it. Okay. Better. Paul okay. McCartney wrote that song. He did? Look at yeah. you bringing the knowledge. I think it was the first band the Beatles signed to their newly formed Apple record label, Badfinger. They also did Day After Day. Day After yeah. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. See, learning a little something. Here's something that's a little uh, more disgusting than that. A study found that the average movie theater seat has 1,864 colonies of bacteria. I don't need to know that. Okay, well, even worse, <laughs> the cup holders have even more than that. Now, the good news is... Why are the cup holders worse? Who's, who's sitting on the cup holders? Well, you're, you know, like probably <laughs> your hands the and the food yeah. and everything, the stickiness of the soda spilling or... Whatever else is in that cup holder. The good news is that bacteria is pretty harmless. But I don't know. Sounds kind of gross to me. That's 14 times, by the way, the, the 1864 colonies. That is 14 times more than the average toilet seat. Well, the movie theater probably is, if you think about it, the only place that you could go that has sticky floors where we're like, oh, it's part of the charm. It's the popcorn <laughs> and that kid spilt a soda as far as that goes. Well, hey, why aren't these floors sticky? Yeah. Something's not right here. Why not? We were talking earlier about is it your home? And you were saying, Josh, that people need to, you know, just kind of buck up and move out and buy something together. But sometimes that's not always necessary. And I was going through the list of things that we've been able to do. And I got to say, Several of those projects we were able to do thanks to Together Credit Union and the home equity line of credit. They really are a great partner. And I say partner because a credit union is not a bank. I mean, they really are working with their members. Together Credit Union is also City SC's official banking partner. And with that comes all kinds of great deals. Not only do you get a really cool looking debit card that when you flash it, a lot of people are kind of like, oh, let me. Look at that again. It's not like, you know, the ones that everybody has, but that means that you get certain offers from City SC. You even get in quicker, which is also cool. So if you are uh, looking to switch up your banking, if you are looking to make a little money on your checking account, Together Credit Union has so many great offers, and they also have a guaranteed way to grow your money with two limited-time CD promotions. You can learn more about all of that. Just visit TogetherCU.org. Martin Kilcoin is going to join us in the 4 o'clock hour. He's probably going to be down at City Field. Oh, that makes sense. Broadcasting tonight. With Congress away for a recess, President Biden and the White House are up in the pressure on Speaker Mike Johnson to act quickly and bring up a Senate-passed Ukraine aid package for a vote. Andy Field, ABC News correspondent in Washington, joins us with the latest. I mean, this all seems impossible. Is it possible? Hey, it's possible that they're not doing anything. By the way, I, oh, I don't know who picks your music coming in and out of the breaks, but that was perfect. <laughs> that uh, is Connor. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were just having a discussion about the band. 
for people who are older, isn't that Bad Finger? Is that the name of the group? Oh yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Andy. And we were going Which through is the also list. Appropriate in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Day um, after day uh-huh. after day. <laughs> so true. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, look, uh, Speaker Johnson uh, basically is is uh, he's he's kind of he's kind of like Pigpen in Peanuts now. He's walking around with a with a big cloud of dust behind him, and no one wants to get near him. Because uh, he has single-handedly torpedoed pretty much everything the Senate's done for the last four months. And there are members in his own party. We're, we're told by the Democrats that they have 300 votes that would pass this Ukraine funding bill today. Uh, but Speaker Johnson, who has the power to bring things to the floor, said, I'm not going to bring it to the floor. It's, it's dead on arrival. My party doesn't want it. Well, Members of his own party beg to differ on this here, and they can do something which is called a discharge petition. It takes a lot of uh, gymnastics and turning yourself into a pretzel to make it happen, but they can do it if they get enough Republicans to sign off on it. The problem is, is for Republicans to publicly buck their leader in an election year is a very risky thing for them to do, especially when Donald Trump doesn't want this to happen. Uh, Donald Trump has the power with primaries and electorates to go after these people. And some of them are still facing primaries uh, as to whether they will get in uh, even a chance to run for re-election. So therein lies the problem, and therein lies the power of Donald Trump with all of these bills in Congress that keep getting blocked because Donald Trump doesn't want a border deal. Uh, he has openly said if, he, if Republicans do that, it gives Joe Biden to win, it would make him look bad. Why he doesn't want a Ukraine deal, I don't think he likes Vladimir Zelensky because of that so-called perfect phone call that got him impeached. Uh, so there's a, a, a lot of psychological uh, hand-wringing going on, and now Speaker Johnson wants to go to the president and say, hey, let's let's make a deal. And Joe Biden's going, we already made a deal. <laughs> we made it with your party in the Senate and you guys rejected it. So I'm not quite sure what, if anything, will be accomplished by this meeting. And no one signed off on this end-around deal yet. No one has to put their name on the line. But have any Republicans in the House spoken to the media or come out and said, you know, I I do support this deal? Oh, a lot of them have. A lot of them have, but, you know, they're told to toe the line. And, have they have uh, they come out like do we know names have they said openly you know I want this to pass well I think they a lot of them are kind of whispering under their breath some of them talk to reporters saying it's important to support Ukraine but they go we don't have the power to bring this to the floor um, of course they do if they do this discharge petition but that's basically staging a mutiny on the House floor and and cutting out all the speaker's power. And do we know is like what is Speaker Johnson's, you know, angle at this? Does he want to be vice president? Does he just want to hold out as far as this goes? You know, your guess is as good as mine. I don't know. He recently went down to Mar-a-Lago. Remember, this is one of the highest elected officials in the country getting in a plane and to pay homage to Donald Trump, who holds no elected office right now. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm not sure what he met about what they talked about, but certainly there's a whole lot of strategy talks going on between the former president and the current House Speaker. It seems to be affecting what gets brought up to a vote, what doesn't. Hmm. And somebody had said, uh, "Who's in charge here, Mr. Speaker? You 
or the former president, Donald Trump. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And, Andy, while we have you, what about these uh, sanctions that the president is saying he could level against Russia? Will that really do anything? And what are we talking about here? Well, that's a a tough question because they they have already – opened the entire ammo bag of sanctions on Russia. And Vladimir Putin and most of Russia is still standing. If you saw Tucker Carlson's little mini documentary oh. online, it's the most wonderful place to live on the planet. Oh, there's, there's, substa- there's subway stations. Put, or, mm-hmm. They have Immaculate. a beautiful subway. They have grocery carts grocery where you put carts. a <laughs> diamond and, and then guarantees you get the cart back. I, I guess he's never been to Aldi's. Right. Yeah. Um, but... It's just it's bizarre the the propaganda that that's going on from Tucker Carlson and from many Republicans who I mean, Russia used to be the the dark nation under Ronald Reagan um, you know they were the worst and now there seems to be a whole lot of sympathy in some parts of the Republican Party for Vladimir Putin and the Russians. Mm. All right, Andy, uh, good luck. Maybe uh, listen to a little Badfinger tonight. Forget about this whole mess for a while. <laughs> Forget about Washington for yeah. a minute or two. You still no, have. Here's a, here's a quick bit of trivia about that. I I, I think that group, uh, the Beatles, gave them their original oh, hit song. Andy, Andy. Yes? I just yes. said it 10 minutes ago. Uh-huh. Oh, well, there you go. Great minds yeah. know the same useless trivia. And, <laughs> yes. So and, well said. I think Paul wrote a couple of their songs. <laughs> yeah. Andy, always great catching up with you. Thank you. All right, you. guys. Take care. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. Me and Andy. Mm-hmm. Some useless yeah. knowledge. We would be terrible on a trivia team together because we would know all the same answers. Yeah. You know, you You'd gotta, be fighting to say who's going to do it yeah, first. Yeah, you gotta, I, I, that's what I was going to say. you got to find somebody who knows something about uh, you know Grey's Anatomy or yeah, something. There I come in. To round the team out. Uh-huh. Uh, back in the day, on this date, February 20th, 232 years ago, President George Washington created the U.S. Post Office. Wow. Hmm? Mm-hmm. How about that? Now, it is amazing that we can get mail from everywhere, isn't it? For what now? Is it 62 cents a, a stamp for a letter? 1962, astronaut John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth, flying aboard Friendship 7. Would you get into that capsule no and fly around up there Mm-mm. i don't think i would either um ben and jerry's 1997 introduced a new flavor fish food named after the rock group fish fish food contains chocolate ice cream marshmallows caramel and fish shaped fudge now my wife is not a fish fan i don't even know if she knows it's a, a band <laughs> song but we get fish food in the house every so often she really does like it. It does sound pretty delicious. All right. Coming up, we're going to have our headlines, and then we will talk to Associate Professor of Political Science at Coastal Carolina University and co-director of the Presidential Greatness Project, who ranks the highest and the lowest when it comes to our presidents. That's coming up. I hope you'll hang out with us here on the Heidi Glass Show with Josh Gilbert on the Big 550 KTRS. Headlines for this Tuesday afternoon, February 20th, Shucked, Back to the Future, and more making Fox Theater to debut 
in the 2024-2025 season, and I cannot wait. The Fox Theater announced its 24-25 Broadway season this morning, which includes seven shows that are new to the Fox stage. Back to the Future, like I mentioned, that's Back to the Future, the musical, not to be confused, Connor. The A Beautiful Noise, the Neil Diamond musical, Kimberly Akimbo, Shucked, and Juliet, and Some Like It Hot, all opened in late 2020. 22 or early 2023 on Broadway. St. Louis is getting each of the shows early in their tours. In the off series, you've got Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. That's making its Fox debut. And then Hamilton, Chicago, and Six are also returning. Six? You liked I loved you Six. Liked six. Yeah. I think if you go to the Fox, you expect a musical, right? Mm. Is that... They've done Death of a Salesman. They've done... Oh, do uh, they? Yes. Yeah, and then uh, just recently, Robert Thomas was in... um, Oh, Atticus Fitch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes. So they just... So they do... So they do do non-musicals. Yes. I don't know if I've ever seen a play that wasn't a musical. Really? Like... Like at all. Or at the Fox. I think McGraw talks about Fun Home. Is Fun Home? No, Fun Home's a musical. Is a musical? Mm-hmm. There's something out there that was just a play. And There's I several was, things. It was like a pl- interesting, a play. Like, like Glengarry Glenn Ross. It's a play. Mm-hmm. Death of a Salesman is a play. Yes. I saw Allergist Wife with Valerie Harper, which was a play. I did see Death of a but, Salesman. But Valerie Harper has such a beautiful singing voice. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Uh, interesting. Does the fox do? Does the fox do plays? Yes, hmm. I can tell you. I've seen them. Seen them. Seen them there. A satellite from the European Space Agency is expected to re-enter and largely burn up in Earth's atmosphere on Wednesday. It'll be coming back down at two fifty-three hour time with a seven and a half hour window. But it's a natural re-entry, so technically, here we go again. They don't know exactly where it's gonna land. Mm. It's a satellite that was launched in 1995. It has served its course, and rather than be left up as space junk, they decided that while they still had control over it, they would angle it back into the atmosphere. Like I said, they think that the majority of it will burn up in the atmosphere, but most of it that still falls in will probably land somewhere in the ocean. So keep your uh, eyes up tomorrow at around 2.50. Maybe wear a helmet. Yeah, wear a helmet. Or maybe just stay indoors. James Taylor performing at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater this summer. He'll be performing there on Thursday, June 6th. Tickets go on sale this Friday, February 23rd at 10 a.m. Over the span of his career, he has won multiple Grammy Awards and sold over 100 million albums worldwide. And the U.S. is in the midst of another great retirement wave. As baby boomers aged, they expected... A retirement wave to hit, but the COVID-19 pandemic caused the number to spike beyond expectations. The U.S. now has 2.7 million more retirees than predicted from a model right here at the Fed in St. Louis. And with the jump in the market, people are retiring even more. Uh, If you're retired over 20 years, does it really matter when you get out? 
you know, you want the market to be good, but I mean, it could go down again tomorrow. Who knows? It could. But I wonder what all of these retirements are meaning for the job markets. I don't know. Maybe we can get somebody on and talk about that. Liz, our friend, said, yes, Josh. It's just that not many plays Mount National Tours like musicals, but they do have them every so often. We're talking about plays at the Fabulous Fox. We are going to New York in a couple of weeks, and we have tickets to go see Anne Julia. Mm. On broad, on broad, on Broadway. Yeah, and then you can see it again if you love it when it's here at the Fabulous Fox. You know, they're teaching the arts at Confluence Academy's Grand Center Arts Academy. But what's really cool is even if your kid is not attending, which you should look into it if your kids are in the arts, but they can attend Confluence Academy's Grand Center Arts Camp. And that is where your kids will receive hands-on learning from the pros in the industry. I'm talking about actors and vocal coaches. This is what they're doing. They're they're doing this fantastic Confluence Academy's Grand Center Arts Camp. And basically, your kid gets one-on-one attention with these industry professionals. And they're in the areas of instrumental and vocal music, in theater, in dance, and visual arts. So not only are they going to learn, you know, kind of the moves and the strokes, if you will, but they're going to learn kind of the the secrets of what it takes to be in the industry. The camp runs from July 8th through July 19th. It's open to students from all districts entering grades 5 through 12, and you can either do one week of camp or you can do both weeks. There's just a small fee of $40, and that's for class materials. But enrollment is taking place right now. It's happening through July 5th, and it will fill up fast. Enroll today. Just go to GrandCenterArtsAcademy.org. Since yesterday was President's Day, we're taking a look at how our fearless leaders are ranked. Justin Vaughn is an associate professor of political science at Coastal Carolina University and co-director of the Presidential Greatness Project. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you guys talk to close to 200 presidential scholars. Do they tend to agree on who was the best president? They do. A pretty, uh, pretty strong consensus that it's Abraham Lincoln. Really? And what's considered when these scholars rank a president? Is it more than a popularity contest? Are they looking at, you know, policies and what each president was able to accomplish? Yeah, absolutely. While each kind of respondent will bring their own judgment and perspective to their decision, um, traditionally the idea of presidential greatness has been understood to kind of reflect uh, the individuals, the presidents who um, led the nation through times of great crisis, who evolved or expanded the institution or the power of the institution in important ways, um, who you know served in kind of heroic moments and um, and uh, and left a lasting impact on the presidency. So they tend to agree on Abraham Lincoln, but who rounds out, let's say, the top five? So top five, there's a pretty. It's been pretty consistent for quite some time, but it. In our survey, we have Abraham Lincoln, and then we have um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and George Washington, two and three, though they're pretty neck and neck. And then we've got Teddy Roosevelt and Thomas Jefferson. And so basically you have Mount Rushmore plus 
FDR. <laughs> and when was Mount Rushmore completed? Was FDR still in his term when that was going on? You know, I can't remember when it was completed, but he wasn't president when it was commissioned. And I think at the and there have been conversations, not for a long time, because I think the general consensus now is there's no room to engineer it. But um, there have been conversations about whether or not FDR should be added. Um, and and we do actually ask a question, and we've asked in previous surveys as well, if there were a fifth face on Mount Rushmore, who who should it be? And the answer is always kind of by a mile FDR. Why don't they just take Teddy, half of Teddy's face, <laughs> and they'll just it'll just be still four, but just a double Roosevelt. Um, when you they say, cousins. yeah, yeah. It, when you say that FDR and George Washington switched spots, moved up and down, uh, further down the list at the bottom, people are moving up and down. Um, you know, the biggest one looks to be Andrew Jackson. He moved down twelve spots since twenty fifteen. These are established presidents long since dead. They haven't really had a chance to do anything lately. Why is the right. why is the perception changing on a president who hasn't been alive for a hundred years? Yeah, so you have a president like Andrew Jackson or Woodrow Wilson who hasn't been alive for a hundred years, right? And um and uh, obviously, we aren't learning new things about them. They're, what they did hasn't changed. Um, but what's changing with respect to Jackson and Wilson is increasing um, uh, uh, in, in unacceptability of some of their beliefs and actions, particularly related to race and to, you know, with in Jackson's case, as Native Americans, in Wilson's case, African Americans. But um, but that the, the things that they believed and stood for and did are just unacceptable today. And and that obviously is reflected in the survey, but it's also reflected in a lot of other things like buildings no longer named after people, you know, uh, important awards no longer named after people and so on that um, that have just kind of been repudiated, but repudiated by you know, his, the moral standards of today. Very interesting. This is the first post-Trump presidential greatness project. Did that change things? It did not. Well, it did and it didn't. So this is the first time that we included President Biden. Um, and so President Biden uh, is came in at 14th, um, uh, and uh, which is um, below uh, other recent presidents, like uh, recent Democratic presidents like Obama and Clinton, but um, is actually a little bit better than when where Obama did the first time he was included. Uh, President Trump we included last time, which was in 2018, and he was 45th in 2018, and he's 45th again this time. So there he is. He's been at least stable at the bottom of that of, of that ranking, but he's he's at the bottom. And when you poll uh, the professors, and, and you and your counterpart, Brandon Roddinghouse, professor at the University of Houston, are you guys voting as well? Yeah, we do individually take it um, as as scholars, but we don't. You know, we count we count our our results the same way as everybody else's. But but uh, but yes, we do. And when you ask the professors to weigh in. Do you give them a line to explain why? You know, we we don't usually. Although this time we um, we a- asked a question, what we would call an open-ended question. So rather than typing in a number or making a particular choice, they can type a sentence. And what we what we had them do after they had rated and ranked everybody was say, you know, in a few words, uh, define what do you think mean what presidential greatness means. And we uh, we haven't done our complete analysis of that data yet. But in reading through those responses, you know, we see a lot of the similar, the the, the typical kind of 
you know, expand the institution, led the nation through crisis stuff. But then we also are seeing more and more of people talking about things like respected democratic norms, um, followed uh, the traditional behaviors uh, associated with the office. And and so I think there's a reaction to um, some of what we've seen in recent years, um, particularly, I think, with the Trump presidency, but also, you know, um, in, in to some degree, the Biden presidency with um, with um, different uh, different activities, different behaviors, and what we're used to seeing. And and then I think Trump really kind of um, was was penalized in this survey because of his reaction to the loss and um, you know at least at least belief that he was challenging um, you know electoral norms and and democratic uh, practices. Whether whether or not you agree with that or believe that, I think. There are different perspectives, but certainly the experts in this poll um, were not uh, taken with um, President Trump's approach to being president. It's very interesting that of the living presidents, Obama was rated the highest, number seven, Mm -hmm. Trump the lowest, as you mentioned. But in between, you have Bill Clinton, Joe Biden, Jimmy Carter, George W. Bush. Is there a feeling of why there are so many Democrats in the top? Yeah, so I think that – there's uh, so there's there there's, there I think are a couple of reasons. So we had George W. Bush, two-term president, but obviously um, a lot of challenges during that time. On one hand, no, led the nation through 9/11, but on the other hand, you had uh, some econo- economic collapse at the end of his administration. You had the war in Iraq. Um, you know, he had the kind of disastrous reaction to Hurricane Katrina, and so a lot of reasons why he doesn't fare as well. Um, uh, you know, his his father was a one-term president. That's something that tends to not be associated with presidential greatness. Although I think that there is growing esteem for the time that his father did serve in office. Um, uh, you know, um, and then I think that with Biden and Obama um, in particular, there's a, a kind of a reverse Trump fa- effect, uh, that there's a little bit of a bump um, for for being the, the presidents on either side of President Trump that comported themselves in ways that are more traditionally associated with presidential leadership, um, you know, and uh, unlike President Trump, who who uh, took a different kind of approach to uh, to presidential uh, to, 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 to his performance in office. And a lot of people will have you believe that anyone who's in academia is a liberal. Uh, but mm-hmm. even the professors that you asked and said, give us a, a, a ranking of your party and, and ideology, even the conservative um, professors, the Republican professors had Trump pretty low on the list. Yeah, that's right. And and so, you know, there are certainly people who, when they see these surveys, are unhappy with how uh, their guy did. Right. And um, and whether that's Donald Trump or somebody else, I, I once got a really upset email when I wrote something about Teddy Roosevelt. And so there's there's people who get upset about everything. But um, but one of the things that I would say is that, um, well, if you if 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 you think that there weren't enough conservatives or enough Republicans in this survey, let's look at what the Republicans said. And they they didn't necessarily say that that Trump was the very bottom. uh, But um, but they were close. And um, and so it's not like uh, it's not like the Republicans had him in the top 10 and the Democrats had him him at the bottom. Everybody pretty much had him at the bottom. Hmm. We're talking to Justin Vaughn, who's an associate professor of political science at Coastal Carolina University and co-director of the Presidential Greatness Project. You know, age seems to be a major talking point in this upcoming election. How do presidential scholars feel about an age limit? 
Oh, you know, that's a that's a question I wouldn't I wouldn't know the answer to. Um, I can't, or at least in terms of a general understanding of how presidential scholars would feel. I'll say that there would uh, probably be uh, some concern among some that the, such a proposal might be politically motivated. Some concern among others that such a proposal might be unconstitutional um, or a violation of, you know, civil rights and age discrimination. I don't know. Um, you know, uh, it, it, but it's certainly, I think Nikki Haley talks about those kinds of things. And I, uh, and, and it's not the first time Franklin Delano Roosevelt wanted to pack the court during uh, the new deal when, uh, and, and add on individual, add on new justices for every justice over the, over a certain age. Uh, um, uh, it, it's a, it's a, a, an issue that I think comes up every so often and that, um, you know, how you react to it, I think, depends on the motivation behind the people who want to do the reform, but also, you know, um, what the individual civil rights and the, the uh, our civil rights requirements in the country would, would entail. When you look at the list of greatness when it comes to our presidents, were there older presidents that that scored very high on the list and, and who was the oldest president before these two guys? Uh, I think, uh, you know, I should know this, but I'm, I think it was Ronald Reagan and, and Ronald Reagan does. Okay. Um, he, uh, and, and, and I, in my own personal estimation, i I refer to Reagan as kind of the last transformative president that we had. Um, so Reagan comes in 16. Uh, so just, just outside of the top third, um, and uh, um, and, he, and he was old, an older president. But as you recall, there were issues during the campaign with uh, Jimmy Carter. There were issues, um, kind of similar things said about President Biden today that were said about President Reagan at the waning days of his administration. And so, um, you know, with age, unfortunately, comes uh, comes these kinds of concerns. And, and um, they're, they're not new, but um, I don't think there's a relationship between age and greatness, um, that we have some presidents who were relatively young. Um, we have some presidents who were older when they were president. And, um, you know, Barack Obama, number seven, was quite a young president. Bill Clinton, number 12, quite a young president. Uh, George Washington, number, you know, number number three, not the youngest guy in the world, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then when it comes to uh, doing a list like this and you have Biden, which I don't think it's fair to even um, really – judge him on on his presidency it's not over yet uh and trump just fresh out of it and possibly back in it how long do you think it takes to fully gauge how a president did you know that's a that's a great question and i I think that there is a legitimate kind of uh critique there that you know it's not fair to include the 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 people who are still in the political game um but uh you know historians have long said it takes at least 30 years for us to be able to have a a, a, a neutral and objective assessment of someone. I think that maybe um, it's longer. Uh, you know, we look at Richard Nixon. I don't, I don't know if it's still possible yet to have kind of a completely objective assessment of Richard Nixon. And so uh, I, I, I'm a political scientist, not a historian, so I'll make that caveat. But I kind of think that when, when there's no longer anybody with the dog in the fight involved in the conversation, then you can probably have an objective assessment. But and, until we all have emotional reaction or while we still have emotional reactions mm -hmm. to individual presidents, it's probably difficult to get a really neutral read. On the other hand, we could probably do a really great uh, empirical and objective analysis of Millard Fillmore and nobody's going to have their feelings hurt. <laughs> and when it comes to like Clinton with the budget and uh, the the bailouts of 2008, 
those things that the presidents made decisions on had lasting effects for years afterwards that we are still probably trying to quantify. Yeah, that's right. And I think it takes a long time before um, kind of short-term political narratives uh, and short-term assessments give way to, you know, longer kind of empirical understanding of the realities and and scholarly assessments. And so um, certainly with somebody like Joe Biden or Donald Trump is you know, the, the the politics between those two is still happening. We can't, you know, um, but even someone like uh, like Bill Clinton or, um, you know, even Ronald Reagan, I think the legacies are still contested. And, you know, Reagan, Reagan left office, you know, 25 years ago yeah. or 35 years ago. Great point. And William Henry Harrison, he was in office <laughs> for 30 days and died. Uh, apparently, yeah. famously, he gave a three hour speech in the cold and caught pneumonia or something, died 30 days into his term. Should he even yeah. be on the list? You know, it's, it's I always have to make the caveat at, at, when people say, and who are the worst presidents? I'll say, well, they're not the worst necessarily. They're the least great because I don't <laughs> think we can say that William Henry Harrison was the worst because he got pneumonia. Um, but he didn't. He certainly wasn't great because he didn't have the opportunity to be. So well said. Well, Justin Vaughn, thank you so much for your time and walking us through this list. My pleasure. Enjoyable chatting with you. We were driving around over the weekend because our friends are still getting kind of acclimated where where things are. And they wanted to see South Grand. And so we were driving down South Grand. And I pointed out that's Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital, the first freestanding uh, pediatric Catholic hospital in the country, which I think sometimes we forget. But they do so many great things. And they're not turning away any child, which is so special. doesn't matter if mom and dad have insurance or not, or if there's a specific therapy that's going to kind of push them over the hump of healing and it's not covered by something, they're going to make sure that every kid gets what they need. That's the way they've been doing it since day one. And one of the reasons they can do that is because they established the SSM Health Cardinal Glennon Children's Foundation to just make sure that not only are those kids being treated, but that the hospital's programs and services are top-notch. They really want to make sure that families know that they can entrust the care of their children to them. And one of the ways that you can help with that is going to a fun night out. I'm talking about Glennon Live. It's taking place Saturday, April 6th at Chaffetz Arena. And it is not only going to be a concert with Zach Brown Band, but... You also kind of get this experience of hearing from patients and families and caregivers of Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. It's really a celebration of all of that. And you can learn more about Glennon Live and all of the great things that they're doing at Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital, glennon.org. One of my aunts was a ER nurse, the head ER nurse in Cape Girardeau. And I loved at holidays, like pulling up a chair and just the listening stories. to some of the stuff that happens. And so I guess somebody went to Reddit or one of those websites similar asking doctors to name the weirdest items that they've seen patients bring into the ER with them. And this is just... 
I mean, this is just bringing stuff in. Oh, you know, Dr. Johar is texting us right now saying, uh-huh. hey, what do you guys want to cover tomorrow? Weirdest things you found inside yeah. a patient. <laughs> yes. Uh, a guy brought in the snake that bit him. Oh. Because it was still alive, I guess. I mean, that would probably help to know if it's what venomous. Is, if you're the nurse or doctor, are they going to be able to tell you if it's venomous or just take a picture of it or put it in a... Do you have the anti-venom for this particular snake? Yeah, no, I I think maybe leave it. Was it, was the snake still attached? It, I don't think so. <laughs> Christmas lights so they could string them above their bed. I guess they were going to decorate oh. the room. Uh well, now you're just talking patients behaving badly. Yeah, this one doesn't make any sense either. It says a drunk guy laid down in the ER and an, an onion rolled out of his pocket. <laughs> what, what are you doing with that? Was well, that a white onion or a yellow onion? Uh, it doesn't say. Mm. Does it matter? A suitcase full of French toast? I feel like I saw that story the other day. Why? Mm, that does sound good, though, for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, their own thermometer. So when a nurse took their temperature, they could double check. Yeah. That's a hypochondriac for you. Her work. The guy, uh, I guess, brought in a half-eaten raw chicken so they could test to see if it was... Raw, and I don't know if they're talking about a chicken breast. I don't know what that is. They say lots of animals, turtles, rabbits, monkey, a flying squirrel, an emotional support duck. Duck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just ridiculous as far as that goes. I, you know, it's it's the, the age-old uh, question, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen in the ER? And I think the majority of the answers are not available to be read on the air. Told on the air. There were a couple that I had to scoot over. Uh, we have a friend who's a traveling nurse, mm-hmm. and she works in the ER. And we went to vacation, and she goes, guys, on my way. It was my last day before vacation. On my way out, let me tell you what I saw. And I can't even begin to repeat the story she told me. But it's three, almost three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. What was this guy doing? <laughs> that's that's the question, right? Those are almost as good as if you have an elementary school teacher in the family who can tell some of the stories oh, about what kids say or I do. You know, or... Kids say the darnest things, but they do the, the most outrageous things. My mom is a, a she taught an elementary mm-hmm. school, and you know, towards <laughs> the end of her tenure, I was like, I was afraid of my own shadow. In grade school. And these kids don't care. And these kids are doing some of the, oh, I can't believe they had the nerve to do that in front of an adult. (laughs) Have you seen the cute video of the, I don't know, six or seven-year-old who had a little too much Sprite? It seems like they're at a bowling alley or somewhere, and he's kind of dancing. And he's like, this is what happens when I have too much Sprite. It always happens this way. And he's just dancing, and it's so cute. Man, okay. my wife gives Sprite to Finn because she says, oh, well, it doesn't have caffeine in Uh, it. But it's got a lot of sugar. Yes. Yes, it does. Got a lot of sugar. Um, Did you see Carl's Drive-In is going to open on Sundays for the first time in its 65-year history? It's the 16-stool Burger Shack in Brentwood. 
and they're going to start opening on Sundays beginning this Sunday, February 25th. It'll be open from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Sundays. I didn't realize they were closed. Yeah, I was going to say I didn't realize they were closed on Sundays. On Sundays. Yeah, it's but a cool place. They're still place. cash only. I, I just wish that they would not franchise but open another location it's not the same though wasn't this is talk, well, that's a good spot you know there, it's 16 stools it's 16 stools but that's what makes it so cool as you go in and you sit at the bar stool and you can kind of feel the nostalgia of the whole place you forget you didn't bring cash with last you. time i was in there pay. it's not like an atm it's like they i don't know how they do it but you put in with your credit card, and then they take money out of the register or something. It's like you're getting cash back. Yeah. Is that what they do? Yeah. Yeah, it is like you're getting cash back. Yeah. Um, Instead of just taking the credit card. Right. Yes, right, right. I'm sure there's some sort of It doesn't for them. say cash only in this uh, article. Or it always has been. But it probably Unless still Unless they change things. There was is. supposed to be some sort of deal where they were going to move out to that soccer Reg- it was Complex. 2022 for a Carl's in Cottleville, but it never came to fruition. That would have been awesome. Yeah, and they got a web look. They got a website. They got a website. Mm-hmm. I'll have to go the, on Sunday. Yeah, I haven't been in a long time. It's this a Sunday, good, it's really good. Maybe I'll try to meet burger. you down there. And they used to make their own root beer. I don't know if they do. Oh, I got the yeah. root beer. It yeah. says root beer still. So, yeah. Yeah. and then the you got the you got uh, onion rings and cheese fries. I was gonna say. Oh. You gotta load up. You gotta load up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You go there You've once, the, once a year. The old checkered French fry boat. Yeah, which oh, makes yeah, it yeah. even better. Yeah, mm. tamales. Don't forget, they have that. They have tamales there. Yeah. Huh. Really good stuff. Right. Well, is what you know, I'm here to you say. You know who I'm texting right now about best burgers in St. Louis? Martin. Martin, because I mean, he's so much. Uh, I mean, his knowledge expands more than sports. Well, I mean, the last thing I want to talk to Martin about is sports. Yeah. So. Well, we're going to talk to him. I want to know, I know you guys talked a little bit with Ben Fred about, you know, filling the high hills of Desiree, the Mizzou's athletic director, and was this a surprise? Going to Arizona for less money, something weird's going on. Well, I read that they kind of put people in place, well, if, some guardrails, if you will, to hold some of the administration. Uh, and if you're doing a great job, which she was, you're running at a, a budget surplus of a dollar. I know it's only a dollar, but in years past, it's been negative. Why do we need a, a watchdog for someone who's doing a good job? Well, I think that was her thought process. And if mm-hmm. that was what was coming, I don't think that she really wanted to stay in that situation. But we can talk to Martin about that. And uh, I would also know, what, what do we need to know about this year's St. Louis City team. What's changed? What's the same? Well, Martin said he was going to be down at City Park. We'll find out if that's true. And they are home to awesome food down yes, there. Yes, they want to are. Know what's new this season as far as the food goes. But Heidi was just talking about Carl's being open on Sundays for the very first time. Martin, what's the best burger in St. Louis? I was going to say, didn't we do this a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago? This <laughs> is. This is our favorite topic. I got to go with Village Bar, the staple, oh, oh, and I, I love I love the setting as well. It's just sort of tucked into West County, but it's not formal. It's not fancy. You can go with the kids after a seventh grade basketball game where we may have lost by twenty points. I'm not saying that happened the other day, but then you can go there and hang out. They've got great 
onion rings, French fries, waffle fries, great hangout. And there's so many. I mean, I could I could probably give you a top five or right. be like Tony Lewis. And, and, and what's the website to Village Bar again, Martin? Yeah. Hey, do, are we charging over. them it's, for that one? <laughs> no, no, I do. I We hang out there all the time. The kids love it. Great wings. But I am at City Park, and I wanted to, am I known for lying to you? Josh that's- says, if that's actually. If that's actually the case, I'm usually in the garage at Fox 2, and that's not a lie. So, yes, we're, we're on, on site here at City Park getting ready for soccer. Today at 10.50, I text Martin, and I say, let's do 4.50. He says, I think I will be at City Park. Okay. So okay. I didn't know if you actually made it down. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of our soccer team, what do we need to know about the team this year? Do we have new people? Do we need any new coaches? What's What, what keeps us in the know? Yeah, I would say what was interesting last year is that this team that nobody knew anything about, along the way, they kind of became household names. You knew that Roman Berkey was the goalie. You knew about Tim Parker, the defenseman who played rugged. You knew about Giacchini scoring goals and Klaus scoring goals. Uh, they've added a few new names. Giacchini's over in Italy. They made a trade. They brought in a guy named Durkin from the D.C. United. But I think on the whole, you'll recognize most of the names. A couple. I think they've added one or two new assistants. So I would say they've sprinkled in maybe 20% of the roster is new. That means about 80% is a holdover. I was doing some reading earlier today, and I said to my wife, listen to this roster, where everyone's from. Okay, you have a Fort Wayne, and you have a New York, you have a uh, Canada, and then you have Germany, Brazil, South Africa, Norway, Iceland, and it just goes on and on. It's unbe- It's like a game of risk. It's unbelievable <laughs> how international the roster is. But I would say largely – familiar names and there's uh the young kid Caden Glover who was born in 2007 wow I believe he's out of Columbia Illinois if I'm going to get that right he's on the the roster I don't know that'll be playing tonight but can you imagine being 2007 on your on a professional soccer team that's just crazy and we can expect the same style of play yeah, I mean, that was kind of their game last year. They would basically say, we learned this along the way. They would give the other team, well, we're going to give you the ball, but then we're going to come take it away. And so what Kansas City did in the playoffs, and I'm no Bill McDermott, but they Kansas City said, no, no, here, you take the ball instead of letting that aggressive style work. So I, they may tweak things um, somewhat because other teams now, you could say they have a book on them because there was a full year. I think City has still got a little bit of this edge. We heard Lutz Fan and Steel, who's the – sporting director here, sort of the GM, picks the players. He said something the other day. He said, I think we're still the new kids on the block. And I think part of that is the rest of the league might still be saying, yeah, that was fun. You had that magical first season. You won the West. But, yeah, let's just let's see if that was kind of a fluke. And maybe that serves a little bit of motivation for this group. Yeah. Um, Mizzou now looking for a new athletic director. Is this a surprise? I think it's a big-time surprise. You know, we talked a little last night about how the Board of Curators holds a lot of power at Mizzou, and when they gave Eli Drinkwitz a raise after the 2022 season, which didn't go anything special, was nothing great, I had heard that they did that without even telling the AD, which is probably not a good practice. So that can lead to a little bit of friction there. Uh, I think Drinkwitz has got a lot of juice. I think – Desiree Reed Francois, who's doing a great job by all accounts. I'm not there in the day-to-day operation. She just got a $62 million donation, which is a big deal. But I think there was some friction there. And then when you say, well, where is she going to? Is she going to Ohio State or 
USC. Well, it's going to Arizona. Okay, good place to live, but it's going into the Big 12. That's lesser than the SEC. And by all reports, her, her salary is going to be a little bit less. So you're like, wait a minute, you're leaving a program that's in the SEC. you got big money coming in. Your football team just won 11 games. Why are you leaving? And she hasn't said anything negative, but I think it's pretty clear there was a little bit of friction down there. And so, yeah, I would say it's a surprise. But unfortunately, with Mizzou, there's always a little bit of drama. Mm. And these are pretty big high heels to fill with listing off a few of those things you just said. Yeah, I think it's a great job. If you're wanting to be an athletic director at a big-time program, it's a great job. But I think they're also going to say, well, wait a minute. Why did she leave? Mm -hmm. Why are you, you know, running out the door, so to speak? Yes, she went to law school at Arizona. But, I mean, people have lived – if you're in college athletics, you've probably lived in 10 to 20 places. You you go where the best job is, and I'm not sure the Arizona job is better than Mizzou. In fact, it's not. And they've got massive – financial problems they just fired their athletic director so it's it's an odd situation but yeah whoever there's a lot of people out there with mizzou ties what's interesting is the athletic director at appalachian state who hired eli drinkwitz to be their football coach he used to be at mizzou if he gets the job that'll tell you that drinkwitz has got all the juice down there at mizzou right now now speaking of mizzou uh we've got tip off at 6 p.m the um Yep. Pre-game starts at 5.30 against number five, Tennessee. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I don't know how else to put it. When you're playing a top team and you have yet to win in your conference, 0-12 in the SEC, Mizzou is just struggling beyond belief. I mean, I think it's kind of like the Billiken season where you didn't expect them to be great. You didn't expect them to be awful. Combined, they're 2-22, and slew in Mizzou, in conference games. Yeah, so Mizzou's at home tonight with Tennessee. And I looked it up the last time Mizzou had a winless conference basketball season was in 1908. Oh. When they were in the Missouri Valley. Even those Kim Anderson lean years, they would win like two or three. And they've still got work to do just to match that. The Valley, Missouri Valley. 1908. Wow. Yeah. wow. Well, here's and to so setting new records, right? <laughs> yeah, hey, records. Hey, Mizzou, it was a record setting year. Well, what do you mean? <laughs> You're both. <laughs> U.S. win since 1908. Oh, yeah. Yeah, about that. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks never, a lot. Never mind. All right. Well, uh, at least you have good weather there. At uh... Beautiful. Yeah, I got to tell you, the pitch, People, lo- I think people love this stadium as much as they love this team. Things look great. This is a CONCACAF match, Josh. You already know that. So this is not an MLS game. Uh, it's a special tournament that City has taken part in. And then on Saturday, they're back here at home against Real Salt Lake. That will be the first MLS game. Match, excuse me, I got to get right my soccer mode. We're all learning, aren't we? Saturday will be the first official league match of the season. All right, well, Martin, get a a tour of the uh, stadium and tell us what all the new food is there because uh, they got some extra stuff down there that they didn't have next year, and we'll we'll check back in next week and get your full report. Sounds like a plan. (laughs) Thanks, Martin. Lots of people clocking out, and we're right behind you. We're out of here at 5.30, but we got more to get to. We've got our top five at 5, maybe dip a toe into some entertainment news, and then we'll head out. So I hope you'll hang out for the next 30 minutes. You're listening to The Heidi Glass Show with Josh Gilbert on the Big 550 KTRS. And now, and now the, the top, top five, five at five. five. News five. from around the room. 
An Indiana mother was inspired to change careers after her second child was diagnosed with congenital heart defects and spent nearly two months in a neonatal intensive care unit. February is Heart Month, and Callie Burnett is sharing her personal story to raise awareness about congenital heart defects, something she had no idea her son Spencer would have when he was born in July of 2016. Now, she previously worked at a family business, but now she's a NICU nurse at Raleigh Hospital for Children in Indianapolis, the same hospital where her son was sent for further care days after his birth. Her positive experience with Raleigh nurses and doctors who cared for Spencer left a mark on her. And in 2019, this mama, too, decided to go back to nursing school and become a registered nurse. She said even though it was a very scary time for her while Spencer was in the NICU, she and her family had a team of caring health providers who were dedicated to helping Spencer through his many treatments and hurdles. He had to be treated for multiple heart defects, but she said that she still has uh, a connection with some of the phenomenal nurses. She still talks to them today, their bedside manner, and how they made her feel and the trust that I had uh, is a bond that she'll have forever, and she said it opened her eyes, and she thought, this is something I think I would love to do. It took her about two years to complete nursing school. After graduating, she took a job at another hospital, but she knew she wanted to be back at Riley, where the staff meant so much to her and Spencer, and today, Spencer is an active seven-year-old, plays basketball and soccer, and she says it's a phenomenal feeling to be able to help the parents because I feel like I've been there. I can tell these moms and dads, hey, I've been where you are. I understand. And she says she loves that feeling. Hats off to all the nurses right? out there. And doctors. It's it's pretty remarkable. And doctors, yeah. Um, and therapists. I mean, there's just such a team, but yes. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Johar will join us tomorrow, but he'll tell us even that, I'm sure, he'll tell us that the nurses are the boots on the ground. They're the the foot soldiers in this thing day to day. Starbucks has a new flavor of coffee in China. Oh. And I read a story that Starbucks is really investing heavily in China and uh, trying to increase their footprint. And it is the Lunar New Year coming up. And one of the things that in China people do on the Lunar New Year is to eat meat, which means prosperity in the coming year. So what have they done? They've created a braised pork latte at its reserve stores what? across China. I'll <laughs> say it again. Braised pork latte. Here's the deal. It's a braised pork-flavored sauce with espresso and steamed milk with extra pork sauce drizzled on top and pork breast meat for a garnish. The drink costs $9.45. And it will be rolled out here as the new Lunar New Year begins. Is it available here? Are we, no. Are we getting it here? No. Ridiculous. I mean, it's almost like a like lunch. Now, if you've been to a Starbucks uh, reserve, they have one in New York and Chicago. They're special. And you can get, like, alcoholic drinks there. You can get special things that you wouldn't find at any Starbucks. This is where they get to do the Frankenstein stuff. Mm-hmm. But have they gone too far? Yes. Have you ever had a beer that had uh, the smoky, kind of a smoky beer? I don't 
think I have. I've had like the milk stout. I went to 33 Wine Bar in your neck of the woods. Uh-huh. Is that still there? It sure is. They They're gave, doing a wine tasting tonight. Are they? Mm-hmm. They gave me uh, this beer that Trappist Monks made in Germany back in the day, and you take a drink out of it, and it, it tastes like you just ate a ham sandwich. Very smoky. <laughs> tastes like a pork chop. And they were telling me that they made it like this because during Lent, they can't eat meat. And back then, it was it was all 40 days, no and meat. And so not, this kind of... Just, this filled that need satiated their okay. need for meat when when they had the beer but my thoughts is who's drinking beer on an empty stomach oh my god these monks <laughs> must have been loaded well you you'd have the meat so it wouldn't be wouldn't be empty anymore well right? you, yeah you'd have the beer would you try the braised pork coffee i think i would i think maybe it's like a rich smoky flavor i would try just about anything as long as it wasn't brains or oh. Yeah. Or uh, or mushrooms, mushrooms, <laughs> or uh, glands. You know the sweet. Birds. Oh yeah. But I was at Russell's on Macklin, mm-hmm. and I got a raspberry place. raspberry coffee. Well, raspberry is different than pork. Yeah, that's it's, fruit, it's right? Fruit, that's... fruit and coffee. I don't think necessarily mix. Yes, it does. You have so many flavors that are vanilla, caramel, no, mocha, which is chocolate. You have some. Uh, there's orange flavor. I mean, there's different flavors. I don't think I've ever had an oh. orange coffee. I was at uh, Barnes. Is it Barnes? What is the, the no, Mercy. Down the street, the baby factory. Yes. When Finn was born. Mm-hmm. Is that Mercy? It used there's, to be St. There Charles. is Mercy, yes. Um, in My there, niece and nephew were born at Missouri Baptist. Oh, okay. Right across is, the highway. Yes. Uh, they had blueberry coffee. And boy, I can tell you, the coffee at the hospital is like, Double the strength, and I think it needs to be. Mm-hmm. But it was blueberry coffee. It was. Did really you like good. the blueberry? You liked it. I did. So you got blueberry. You got raspberry. Yeah. So now why I are just, you- now I just need pork. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That'll complete Have my you had the sheet. olive oil one? That one is oh, here now, right? Mm-hmm. I was just telling my wife about that. They put olive oil in yeah. Italy in their coffee now. Boy, just imagine how quickly that goes through you. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. This week, uh, prosecutors in New York charged a man, Mickey Barreto, for claiming he owned the entire New Yorker hotel building and trying to charge people staying in the hotel rent. He had been living in the hotel for free for the last five years because when he moved in there for the first time, he stayed there for one night five years ago. Somebody told him there's a law in New York that says in a building built before 1968, you ha- they have to offer you a six-month lease. So after staying there so for like one night. fees? Like almost a. I think there was probably a rule that you couldn't. I, I am, I'm imagining the article doesn't go into it, but I'm, I'm imagining back in the day, maybe landlords would offer, you know, one-month leases and then kick people out. So maybe this was a way to stop that. But he stayed there for one night and went to them saying, I'd like to sign a six-month lease. They kicked him out. He took it to the New York Supreme Court who said that this law is still in effect. You have to be able to sign a six-month lease. The hotel didn't want to do it, though, so he's just been staying in the room for five years living there, paying nothing because the hotel doesn't want to let him sign a lease. But the New York Supreme Court said he's allowed to stay there. You can't get kicked out. And he would use this basis to claim that he, in fact, owned the entire building 
because he said it was never divided into apartments. It's oh, all just one building. You said I can stay there. You said I own, you know, I'm on the lease there. There's you gave some... me a key. And they they clearly disagreed with him on, on this one. But not on, they're still going to let him go back. It's after these charges come come to be, he can still go back and stay at the hotel room. Yeah, that's. These things are written, and, and are they loopholes or are they just things that, well, we never expected someone to think that they could stay for free, well, so we didn't I, put it in the law. Well, I think what's key is he, the his whole thing was that he was offering to sign a lease, which he would pay. Right. The people that own the hotel is the United Christian Church out of South Korea. I did not realize that now. They didn't. They they just didn't want to let him do that. I I don't know if that would ruin their hotel business. I don't know if there's something stopping them from doing that. So they they were stuck in this loophole where he they couldn't leave or they couldn't kick him out, and they didn't want to let him pay to stay there. So he's been staying there for free. Well, I would love to go back to whoever wrote that law initially and back say, in the sixties, back in the sixties, and say, hey. There's going to be a guy that's going to want to stay. He's going to sign a lease. He's going to live there for free for six years. The person that wrote that law would say, that is absolutely ridiculous. Except these stories happen a lot more than you think they do. I was just reading a story in the a post about this guy who kind of claims empty, vacant properties. Yeah. And maybe pays the bills and then all of a sudden his name shows up and then he goes and tries to claim these properties even though they're not really – his. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing, and there are a lot of... And, and getting people evicted is hard. Hard. That's right. And it's that's that would be frustrating to me as a landlord, not to just want to throw somebody out, but somebody that didn't deserve to be there right. and was taking advantage of a situation. Now, he yeah. says beyond living for free, he's doing this as a political protest to the church that owns the building. No, so of course he's I a, don't he's know a if political that, protest. I don't know if that just just tacked on as a reasoning yeah, and right. the, the living for free and right across the street from Madison Square Garden is just a bonus. Oh, uh, that's where it is. Yeah, oh, it's, it's the New Yorker Hotel right man. there. Uh, Prime real estate. Prime real estate. Yeah. It's the one with the sign that says New Yorker on it. Oh that's, yeah, it's that one. The old the old building. Huh. You think you've heard it all, and then. And, you know, you think you've gonna, seen it all. Yeah, I'm going to try this stunt while I'm up there. And then uh, <laughs> then you go to the St. Louis RV travel show. That's where Byerly is going uh, to be this week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I know that right now, uh, you know, Byerly has some great deals. And those will continue. You, you always, and I can say this with experience, always get great deals at the RV travel show. Plus, you get to go in and see so many of the different options, what's new, the latest and greatest. Now, Byerly RV always has the latest and greatest on their lot there in Eureka. I mean, they have more than 30 brands of new RVs in stock. I'm talking travel trailers, fifth wheels, camper vans, gas and diesel motorhomes. I mean, it's really an RV show every single day at Byerly RV. But this this gets you even more because you can walk in and out and kind of get a feel for what you're looking for this weekend. But we're going to be joined by uh, Warren Patton, the president of Byerly, I think Thursday afternoon to kind of tell us about some of the great deals they have coming up. But you can go online, byerlyrv.com, and get a feel for you know what you're looking at. If you already own an RV like I do, 
By the way, I just booked a uh, spot for St. Patrick's Day weekend at Beyond the Trail. So Byerly RV can do the dewinterizing. They can do anything that needs to be done with your RV because that's that's what they do. And the service department is just beyond with Barb and Sammy. They just they're going to take great care of you like they take great care of me. And then they have the storage facility now that is unlike anything that I've ever seen. But first, got to get the RV. And you can do that at BuyerlyRV.com or Swing by Eureka or make plans to go to the RV show this weekend. All right, we're getting out of here early for some Mizzou basketball. Let's wrap this show up with a random or two. Heidi, you talk about this one all the time. Your friend Vanna White has worn a different dress on every single episode of Wheel of Fortune. Or pants. Or pants. Mm -hmm. A different outfit. More than 7,000 total. And she doesn't get to keep a single one of them. Nope. Where do they go? She sends them back to the designer. Oh. And then what do they do with it? Sell it. Sell it. Yeah. (laughs) Vanna, Vanna worn pants. Um, There were proposals in the 1600s to use an upside down or crooked exclamation point as a way to show the sentence was ironic or sarcastic. Oh, I kind of like that. We need that with text messages. Because you can't, I can't tell tone. Uh Uh-huh. You know, I think that it's pretty obvious, but maybe I'm just a sarcastic person. Uh, There's a patron saint of television, Heidi. St. Clair. How'd you know that? You must have, have been a, in television for 20 years. <laughs> I have a St. Clair little statue. What's the uh, patron saint of radio? St. Clair of Assisi. Mm-hmm. And the Pope made her the patron saint of TV in 1958. I don't know. Why wouldn't they say if there's a patron saint of radio? It might be the same. Hmm. Well, that's all I've got. All right. It's St. Gabriel. Oh, oh patron the Patron saint of yeah, broadcasters. He, and- yes, he's the patron saint of, of news. Everyone yeah. in the communications industry, apparently. Isn't he the one that told so. Mary that she was going yes. to be pregnant with Jesus? There you go. Did he tell her what to name him? <laughs> I don't think so. Don't name him like Richard or Derek. Name okay. him Jesus. It's, it's, we need to get off the air now. Uh, you guys, thanks for hanging out with us, and hopefully you'll come back here starting at 3 o'clock tomorrow. Until then... See if you can put a smile on somebody's face. Whatever gets you through the